0: Episode four. I want to apologize for how long it took to get this episode out. Um, since the last one, I've been very busy. I've got a full-time job. I'm starting a side business with some buddies, and one day out of the week is spent with family. So it's just really hard to find spare time to do this sort of thing. I wish I could do this thing full-time, like uh, Leighton Flowers or some of the other the other guys out there. I, I hope one day it might reach that, but that's not. You know, that's you got to work for it, and so that's what we're going to try to do in our spare time. Um, In this particular episode, we're going to go into the idea of unconditional election and some recent drama brought about by uh, Leighton Flowers once again. Uh, He put out a meme on Twitter and it was on predestination or more specifically hinting at the idea of unconditional election and the problems he sees with it. And uh, James White responded and they, they don't have direct back and forth, but they sort of put out episodes responding back and forth, you know, indirectly. Um, but I just wanted to chime in and give my opinion on the matter. And uh, after going through the meme itself, some comments on that, I, I will get into the, the main point of this episode, which is to focus on unconditional election and hopefully properly explain it. Because while I I certainly will go through this meme and why it could have been a lot more clear, Layton could have made a much better meme, um, to be honest. At the end of the day, I do see why the other side has a problem with the way in which unconditional election is presented most of the time. So uh, we'll go through the meme first and then we'll cover unconditional election and how I think that it should be properly explained. So the first thing I'd like to do is read the meme that started all this drama. So Leighton Flowers posts a meme and I just want to point out that he's going to clarify right after calvinists erupt over this he's going to clarify what he meant and it's not that i have a problem with his clarification in fact the point that he brings out is an important point that i'm going to use in this episode to demonstrate that a lot of calvinists don't properly explain unconditional election to begin with we'll get there but let's be fair when you read this uh it's perfectly understandable why the calvinists erupted the way they did and if you wanted to be more clear you could have been right you could have said what you wanted to say instead of this So the meme says predestined. Who is predestined to what? And it's got the Calvinism side and the provisionism side. On the Calvinism side, the who is individuals mysteriously selected by God for no revealed reasons before the world began. Okay? And then the to what is to become believers in Christ by irresistible. He loves that word means so that to receive blessings from those chosen him. So um, obviously it's saying God chooses people to be saved. To sum it up. So when you leave it as general as that, right, just individuals mysteriously selected by God for no revealed reason, Calvinism, Calvinists obviously erupt against that and point out that the no, the reasons are revealed, right? God is very clear that he is glorifying himself in the salvation of these individuals, right? So it's for his glory. And this is where Leighton Kozuega says, oh, no, 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 no. That's not my point. My point was that he's not revealing why he chooses one person and not another. Now, if you wanted to say that, you could have said that, right? You could have made a completely different meme or whatever and made it very clear that that's what you meant. So I just want to point out from the start that the drama is warranted and I don't know why he tries to pretend like this meme was clearly saying what he what he actually wanted it to say. Um, but with that being said, um, let's move on to a, a few of his comments and then I'm going to make a few points along the way as well.
1: I was using the phrase for no apparent reason you know there's no known reason as to why god chooses one person instead of another which is just true of calvinism that's not me saying that that's just that's the claim of the systematic uh there is no known or revealed reason as to why god chooses person a instead of person b uh there's just not i mean that's what calvinism is stating under the doctrine of unconditional election
0: now the doctrine of unconditional election is stating that the reason it right so he's saying that there are reasons but they're not revealed Okay, as to why God chooses one and not the other. The point is that the reason is not found in the person. The reason is found in God and the purposes he has in saving that person, right? Um, So the reasons are not found in the person. They're found in God, in the creator, right? That's the point of unconditional election. And when we start throwing this idea of it not being revealed around, um, The reasons for God choosing one person not another are in fact revealed. Okay, they're revealed in time in the life of the person Right if you're gonna want to ask this specific question about individuals The Bible is gonna speak in general statements, right? The Bible is gonna say for example God works all things after the counsel of his will and according to his purposes So there's the general statement. So now when you look out into the world and you see things happening even the bad things You understand, in light of the general statement that God works all things, that he must also be working that, and therefore must have a purpose in that. Now, the Bible itself does not reveal, word for word, right, the reasons God might have in a particular, I don't know, bad thing, maybe, you know, a natural disaster, or a murder, or whatever you want to point to, and that's happening in the world, right? God is not giving us a written, down from heaven, daily report as to why this happened, And the purposes he had in it. So they are not revealed in the Bible. But you can look out at those specific things as they happen in time. And conclude for yourself or reason for yourself as to the reasons God might have had in those things. And at the end of the day. What I'd like to back up and say is that even if you can't discern or know the reasons why God did something or in the case of election chose someone. Even if, at the end of the day, you couldn't put your finger on a reason, how is that at all an argument? It seems more to me like an appeal to emotion, to be honest, right? I've always wondered how this is an argument to begin with. Even if it were true that God never reveals why he chooses one and not another, or never reveals why this thing happens or that thing happens, right? Even if it was a secret, unrevealed, mysterious thing, so what? Right? Why does God have to report to you? Why does God have to run all of his plans and purposes and reasons for doing things through the filter of you? He doesn't, does he? So it's not that pointing these things out, even if they were true, would be would make Calvinism illogical or bad or wrong or unbiblical or any of that. It's just sort of an appeal to emotion of, well, that just seems kind of dumb. You know, if God, God doesn't reveal the reasons so Maybe they must not really be there, and you start drawing false conclusions. But at the end of the day, it's really not an argument at all. It's an appeal to emotion. Okay? So I just want to say that from the start as we start going through the rest of this, that even if everything I'm about to say in this episode is completely wrong, at the end of the day, Leighton still doesn't have an argument here. All he has is an appeal to emotion.
1: But God chooses some people in uh, the secret counsel of his will, secret means that it's not revealed. it's it's not apparent. It's not known to us as to why he chooses Bob and not Bill. Bill ends up in hell, Bob ends up in heaven, and we have no reason given to us as to why God chose Bob and not Bill. none. zero, Zilch, okay? That's just the claim of the system.
0: Now uh, he's making the general statement just not revealed. He's gonna add in the phrase in scripture in a little bit here because he's gonna realize very, very quickly. That my point is completely valid, that reasons are in fact revealed to us. They are revealed to us every day in the lives of the individuals around us, okay? So, the the revealed reasons might not be, again, spelled out in scripture. Um, he's going to start asking, you know, why did God choose to save James White and not Bob or Bill? Well, James White's name's not in the Bible, all right? And so, again, the Bible makes general statements that when we look out and we see people being saved, God is doing that for the general purpose of glorifying himself in their salvation. But remember, if you're going to start asking specific reasons that that God had in the lives of those people, you have to look at the lives of those people, okay? And it's in your face, right? Why did did God, you know, choose to in time save, save James White? Well, look at all the wonderful things he's done with James White, right? The apologetics against Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and Roman Catholics and you name it, right? So there's all your reasons. And as we're going to see very soon here, those reasons aren't good enough for Leighton, right? Because he's going to then qualify his statement even further to say that the reasons aren't revealed in Scripture, which, as I've already pointed out, is absurd. When you're going to ask why God is saving certain individuals, or I should say choosing to save in time, um... You got to look at the lives of the person, right? There's reasons God has for doing things. And this brings me to another very, very important point, right? You need to understand the relationship of salvation and election. When we start ranting on about and, and debating these things, sometimes these words get thrown around interchangeably, salvation and election. They are not interchangeable terms. Salvation happens in time. Salvation is most certainly conditional. The only people who will be saved are people who believe, right? So, faith is a condition for salvation. Salvation is happening in time. We're talking about election, which is the eternal plan or decree of God, the choice and plan of God, um, which encompasses not just that people will be saved, but everything else coming before and after that. It includes everything that leads up to them being saved. It includes everything that follows them being saved, their sanctification, their glorification on through eternity. So, God's eternal decree of election includes the entire life of the person, not just that they will be saved. So salvation is the temporal time bound storyline outplay of the eternal decree of election. Right. And this is really important because, um, the point here between the whole point here about unconditional election versus conditional election is that the free will side believes that God looks into the future, sees who meets that condition for salvation by, you know, by believing And whoever meets that is going to meet that condition by believing. Those are the ones he chooses in eternity past to save. That's the free will view. That's the conditional election view. The unconditional election view says that God is not choosing to save people because of what he foresees them doing, right? So the the reason for God choosing to save somebody is not found in them. The reason for God choosing to save people is found in him and the purposes he has in the lives of those people. So God didn't choose to save Dr. James White because of all the wonderful things he foresaw James White would do for him in his apologetics. God chose to save Dr. White so that in time he could use him in all the ways he has in his apologetics. You see the difference there, right? So the condition of salvation, which is faith, and everything that comes before salvation and after salvation and during salvation and then while we're here on earth, and all the wonderful things that we do for God as Christians... That is all part of the eternal decree of election. It is the active planning of God in the entire existence and life of a person. So, when 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 Leighton says that it's not revealed, and he's going to say it over and over again, you need to remember, it is revealed. There's a difference between saying not revealed, period, and not revealed in Scripture. And if you're going to try to refine this down so far as to say that, well, the reasons aren't found in Scripture, and then give names of people, like James White, you're you're reducing this down to an absurdity because why would the bible uh give all the reasons for every single individual who has ever been saved that all you know word for word the bible would be a trillion pages long and it's absurd
1: individuals mysteriously we don't know why selected by god for no revealed reason before the the world began in other words
0: and again look how basic that is no revealed reason, we don't know why. We do know why. You look at the lives of the individual people and you see the purposes God had in them. The point is they were God's purposes. They were not God taking what we would do and using them. They are God actively planning what we would do, right? God didn't save us because of all the wonderful things we would do for him. God chose to save us so that he could do all the wonderful things he would do with us. There's a, there's a difference there. It's all the difference in the world. But to say they're just not revealed and we don't know them it's just false. I'm sorry. You look into the world and you see all the reasons. They're in your face. They're revealed. So your statement is false.
1: We don't know any reasons as to why he chose Bob and not Bill, uh, an elect versus a reprobate, for th- his own glory. Now, this is what Calvinists will say, and oftentimes in response to this, is, oh, no, it's not for no revealed reason. We know the reason. The reason is for his glory. No, that's not, you're not getting to the point of the question. So now he's about to clarify. Of course he chooses Bob for the salvation of his glory, or for his glory and in, in his salvation, just as he's chosen Bill for reprobation for the praise of his glory too. I mean he's he does everything Yes that he does for his glory on Calvinism. We get, we get that.
0: The so he gets that. He gets that God has reasons and purposes in everything that he does, whether it's people being saved or people being damned, it was, you know, all for God's glorification. Um so again, but this is not good enough for him.
1: Question is why did he choose Bob for the praise of his glory and not Bill for the praise of his glory because it seems to me that he could have just as easily chose Bill for the praise of his glory and not Bob for the praise of his glory. You got it?
0: Yeah and if you're going to answer the question of Bob versus Bill you got to look at Bob or Bill. The Bible doesn't mention Bob or Bill right? So this is just really you know this is this is just weird to me why why you're asking questions that have to be the, the answers you're looking in the wrong place for the answers in other words you're looking for the Bible. To answer why Bob and not Bill instead of looking at the lives of Bob and Bill. What are the reasons? You just admitted God has reasons in the existence of all things, all people, whether their end is salvation or damnation. So if you're going to ask about Bob and Bill, you got to look at Bob and Bill.
1: So there's no revealed reason as to why he chooses one person and not the other person for the praise of his glory. We understand everything on Calvinism he does by his will for the praise of his glory. That's a given, okay, on Calvinism. So we're not trying to say he doesn't.
0: so the Bible makes the general statements, which you just admitted are there, and you want specific statements, which aren't in the Bible. So where do you have to look at the specifics, the, the specific people you're asking about?
1: Have um, an ultimate reason for his will, which is for his own self-glorification on everything in Calvinism. What we're saying is there's no revealed reason as to why he chooses one over the other.
0: And it is revealed in time, in the life of the person, very clearly.
1: Or why he chooses some and not others, or why he chooses this percentage versus this percentage. Why choose such a small percentage versus a large one? That's not revealed on Calvinism. You're not it's even going reve- to question that on Calvinism.
0: It's revealed in time. You can question it. It's just you're looking in the wrong place for the answers. That's all.
1: That's just what Calvinism states. Again, if you have a problem with that, then you have a problem with Calvinism, not, not with Leighton Flowers' representation of it. And it's not so much your
0: representation of it. It's just that you're, you're asking a question— that is, that is found in a different place than you're looking. That's all.
1: Maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the issue here is that sometimes you don't need to really refute an argument. You just need to state it really clearly so that people know intuitively to reject it. And that's what I think happens a lot.
0: And, and here you have the admission of what I just pointed out. Even, even Leighton knows, right? He's, he's not, he's not, he, he, he is a smart guy. He's not stupid. He knows that what he's talking about here is not an argument it is, not a refu- it is not a refutation of Calvinism in the slightest. Not even the first step towards a refutation. All it is is emotion. If you just say it like it is, then people will have this emotional reaction to it and just conclude that it's wrong. And he even appeals to their in- intuitions here. They just intuitively know that it's wrong. The problem with intuitions is intuitions change over time based on what you know. The more you learn about a particular thing, your intuitions will change. It is a terrible idea to base your worldview on your intuitions, especially with what the Bible has to say about us being fallen sinners. Terrible idea. And so again, it is an appeal to emotion, right? This is why appeal to emotion is a logical fallacy and terrible argumentation to begin with, because it is appealing to people's intuitions and their emotions. And he just admitted that this whole thing is not an argument. It is just trying to get him to say, look how absurd Calvinism is. Look how, well, you know, that's just... That's not the way we would do it if we were God. That just doesn't seem right to us, right? I mean, let's just pretend for a moment. Just pretend that God literally flipped a coin. Heads or tails, you're saved. Tails, you're not saved. Heads, you're saved. Tails, you're not saved. Let's pretend that's what actually happened. Would God be wrong for doing that? Wouldn't be wrong for doing it. You might think it would be stupid, but there's nothing illogical about it, even if it were true, which it's not. Don't you dare misunderstand after everything I've been saying. I'm just saying at the end of the day,
1: guys, there is no argument here. That's all. On social media. Is that you state something really simply right out there very clearly for people to understand and they revolt against it because it is so blatantly obviously wrong.
0: Now, again, this isn't, it, this isn't exactly fair, Layton, because again, your meme was not clear. Your meme warranted the eruption that it got because it was basically saying that God doesn't reveal reasons why he saves people but i mean it is very simple it is very easy to read your meme and conclude that and then you're going to spend all your time here talking about oh god does have reasons for saving people as far as glorification i admit all that but that's not what your meme said you could have very easily clarified your meme to be the clarification that you have been forced to provide okay so this idea that well, you just say it and people will reject it because it's absurd i would you know I just don't know how i can keep saying it over and over but it should be clear by now what you just quote unquote just laid out and said is not what you meant to say and it it got the exact eruption that it warranted in my opinion i'm just trying to be fair you could have been more clear in the meme
1: and that's what calvinists are revolting against when you say calvinism so clearly that everybody can see exactly what they're saying for themselves
0: we're revolting against you basically saying god doesn't reveal why he saves people in general you did not say Bob versus Bill or person A versus B, person B. You didn't say that in your meme. So we're revolting against your meme, not
1: your clarification of the meme. People revolt against it in the Calvinistic case. You don't understand Calvinism. That's not us. That's not what we believe. That's not what we're saying. So what's technically wrong with what I said? Crickets, nothing.
0: I've made it very clear. There's no crickets here, okay? You were not clear. You, you, your clarification was not what the meme said. So you should put out a new meme. That is fully clarified, right? And then we can talk about that.
1: To be clear, Dr. White, when I say for no revealed reasons, I'm referring to his reason for picking you for salvation rather than another unconditional election. But
0: that's not what the meme said.
1: Not that he doesn't have an ultimate reason for saving those he does pick and damning the rest, i.e. his own glory, like I've already explained at the beginning of the broadcast.
0: But your meme just simply said, I'll read it again, individuals in general mysteriously selected by god for no revealed reasons before the world began right but the reasons are revealed when you're going to talk about generalities you didn't say person a person b dr white and bill you kept it very general and now you're now you're forced to clarify
1: this is not about whether or not god's doing what he does on calvinism for the sake of his glory we already know everything everything that god wills he wills for his own self glorification that's what calvinism is it's 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 that god is god centered that's what calvinism is it's not just god-centered theology it is that god is god-centered he is god is a self-centered god on calvinism
0: so this is he's about to launch into a a lot of very emotional things here and normally i wouldn't waste time on this sort of things but it i just want people to see um how how emotional these things are in other words it's very easy to paint one side as looking bad when you don't really have anything that proves them wrong you just want to make them look bad to people, right? And so you're appealing to people's emotions. You're appealing to their sense of right and wrong rather than actual right and wrong. You're appealing to what they think, the way they think things should be or the way that they would do things if they were God. And so uh, uh, he starts off here by saying that God is God-centered in Calvinism. And, you know, there's there's two ways to understand God being God-centered, right? There, there's a negative sense and a positive sense. When it comes to God right? Before anything existed, there was only God. When God goes to create, he's going to be doing so for his own reasons, right? There's not other gods surrounding him that he has to be concerned about. He didn't create, you know, the universe for his, his, <laughs> his wife or, or anything like that, not to be sarcastic, but, but, you know, there's, so to be self-centered, it's not like God is being self-centered in the way that we can be when we're surrounded by other people, when God goes to create and he's doing so to glorify himself and he has plans and purposes throughout in in what he's doing in creation, that's all self-centered, but it's in a good way, right? And God can't help but be that way. If you stop and think about it now, Leighton's going to launch into all the ways God isn't self-centered, but it's important to notice something. God is doing all sorts of things in selfless ways in creation. He's planning a story out. He's writing himself into the story as a character He's playing a part in the story and as he does so, he is sure he's being selfless as for example, he dies for us and he saves us from our sins, but stop for a moment and ask what's the ultimate reason he's doing that. And for any Christian who's read the Bible, the answer is to glorify himself. So is that self-centered? Well, it is, but it's not in a bad way. So let's play through some of this and just hear it real quick.
1: On Provisionism God has every right to be a self-centered God, but the reason he is so glorious is that he chooses to put Humanity in front he chooses to wash the feet of undeserving humans
0: in time, right in time But it's important to notice. Why is he doing that? Right? And why do we do that? It's all to glorify God. God does it to glorify himself, right? He's not glorifying you when he washes you know, if you were to wash your feet Or when you were to wash someone else's feet, you're doing that to glorify God. When we as Christians treat other people well, we're not doing it for our glory. We're not doing it for their glory. We're doing it for God's glory. So we are being God-centered even when we are being selfless. And God is being God-centered when he is being selfless. Again, you have to view God in the ultimate transcendent position and then understand that in light of what he does in creation as he writes himself in and takes part.
1: He, do, he chooses to lay down his life for people who don't deserve it.
0: Correct. But he does that in time. And why does he lay down his life? Ultimately. Right. You can talk about how he, he loves us. Okay. Uh, he wants to save us from our sins. Okay. And he's doing so, you know, in a sense for our benefit in that sense. But ultimately, right. When God in eternity past planned creation out, he's doing so to glorify himself. Are you going to deny that? When God lays down his life for sinners, is God doing that to glorify himself or not? Because the, the road you're going down makes it sound like that, well, if he were doing it to glorify himself, that that would somehow be a terrible thing. But it's not a terrible thing.
1: Even though he deserves to be self-centered, he deserves, if anyone could rightly be self-centered, it would be our God.
0: Well, and again, when you, of course he deserves to be self-centered, and he admits that. So why is Calvinism bad? That's my question. If, if you're admitting he deserves to be and can be, and Calvinists say that in a sense, in the ultimate sense he is, why is that bad? And I want you to explain how in your view, in the ultimate sense, God is not.
1: But what makes him so abundantly glorious and um, worthy of our adoration is because even though he perfectly deserves to be self-centered, he chooses to lay down his life for undeserving humanity. See, and
0: this is the problem. When we start talking this way, especially when we make emotional arguments, when we try to make things relatable to us, God is not on our level. He's not just a part of creation. He's not just another created thing. He transcends creation. So anything that God does in creation also has an ultimate purpose. And my question is, do you deny that? Because if you admit that there is, you admit that God is even laying down his life for his own glory. Is that really a terrible thing for me to say? I don't think so.
1: That's the difference between Calvinism and provisionism, is that ultimately, on Calvinism, God is a self-centered God. And he, he is only about the display. It's, it's like what...
0: See, ultimately self-centered, right? And ultimately about glorifying himself. But the outplay of that ultimateness, the outplay of the ultimate purpose, includes all the wonderful things that Leighton just mentioned. And it, it, it slightly annoys me for him to try to take all those wonderful things, like the selfless love of Je- the man, Jesus Christ, who entered creation, right? And, and try to claim those for his side, And try to pretend like our side, the Calvinist side doesn't have those things when we most certainly do. The point is that the Calvinists are properly understanding that that, that we, we understand the relationship between all those wonderful things and the outplay of those things being the outplay of God's eternal plan and purpose, which ultimately is his glorification. Okay. See, if you're fair to the issues, if you're fair to the position, we aren't sacrificing those things. We aren't removing those things. It's all there. It's just properly understood as being ultimately for God's glory.
1: What we're going to hear from Austin Fisher next week when we have him on, um, where he talks about this, this glory hog in the, sky, in the sky. He's just a black hole of glory. Just, just wants to suck up his glory. And that's what Calvinism, in his mind, as he, he began to move away from Calvinism, that's what Calvinism, he, he began to understand. That's what Calvinism is. It's just this big, uh, this big black hole of glory. He's just this glory hog. And, and whatever it takes, to if it, it means stepping on most of his, uh, his own creation to make himself look better,
0: See, and this is funny. Um, before we get into the idea of God stepping on his creation, God's a big glory hog. What is the purpose of the Christian? The entire purpose of their existence and everything that we do. What's the answer? To glorify God, right? So is that view, which every, I thought every Christian believed that, is that view making God a glory hog? is the fact that God sets up a creation, and especially, you know, never mind predestination and and determinism, all this stuff. Let's just take any side of the Christian view. God tells us to love him, worship him, serve him. Everything that we do is to be for his glory, right? That's what I thought. Does that make God a glory hog? Does it make God a glory hog for him to have created you solely for the purpose of his own glorification? Is that, is God selfish? Is he a glory hog? You see, when you try to take us and put us on God's level as if we're, I hate to say it, as important, um, or, you know, this is the type of emotional things that people relate to, unfortunately, but this is, when you stop and break it down and ask simple questions that any Christian side is going to answer, of course, everything is for God's glory. Right? It's certainly not for us and our glory. There's only one person, if you want to use the word, who is glorified, who is supposed to be glorified, and that's God in all things. From him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Was Paul teaching that God's a glory hog? See, when you when you start using these phrases and and this this emotional argumentation, you try to make it sound bad, but when you just back up and say, whoa, slow down and ask basic questions, all of a sudden it just There's there's no problem. It's not bad. Okay, God's a glory hog. So what, right? And now he's going to start talking about God stepping on his creation.
1: Then then that's what he's going to do. And who are you to question if God wants to step on Susan in order to make him better? Who who cares if God steps on Billy to make him look better?
0: See, and and it's not about making God look better. He doesn't need. He's not trying to impress you. He's not trying to impress me. He's not trying to impress the God next door, right? Uh, he's doing it all for his glory, and that includes, you know, we're trying to put this uh, this overall heaven or hell predestination type of thing on the side for a moment. We're just talking about basic Christian concepts, but, you know, it's not about God stepping on his creation. He, he He's not stepping on anybody. He is doing all things for a purpose, which includes punishing sin. And it's not fun to talk about, but is God not glorified when he punishes sin? I mean, that's the question I have for the free will side people who go to hell even in your view for eternity and are punished by God for eternity are they glorifying God in their punishment is God is God's justice and wrath against sin is his holiness glorified in their eternal punishment yes or no and if your answer is yes is he stepping on them is he eternally stepping on them to just make him, is he a glory hog is he making himself look good by punishing people for eternity i mean why not just why not just take him out of existence why not just you know, be, well, let's all be annihilationists and say that God just destroys everybody when they die. Uh, who, who's going to go to hell? They just—they're destroyed, so they're not suffering for all eternity. Because let's face it, God's God's proved his point, right? They sin, they didn't believe in Him, they die, they don't get to go to heaven. Okay, but God's proved his point. He doesn't need to continuously punish them for eternity, does he? That's just—that would make God a glory hog. That would make God eternally stepping on his creation to make himself look better. You, you see how this can go both ways when you're when you're emotional about it. And don't sit there and try to pretend, oh, predestination, Calvinism is the one that's only one that's stuck with this. You believe God created people he knew would end up in hell. God could have not created them. It wasn't up to them if they were created. So God creates people he knows with certainty will end up in hell. God ensures they'll end up in hell by creating them. You're stuck with the same problem. So is God a glory hog? Will God be eternally stepping on the people in hell to make himself look better? This is just ridiculous.
1: Who are you to question God if he wants to step on other people in order to make himself look good because it is all about God and his self-glorification. Everything is about God and his self-glorification. So if he wants to step on mo- most of his own creation. You guys,
0: you see how everything's about God and self-glorification. He says that in a sarcastic, mocking tone. I thought that was a basic Christian view. This is astounding. If, if you're saying this sarcastically, you're implying that everything is not for the glory, the glorification of God. So who else is being glorified? My goodness, I would like an answer to that.
1: To make himself look better, then who are you, little peon, to question whether God wants to step on most of his creation to make himself look better?
0: And again, you could break this down, I could make entire episodes that branch off of each and every point. This emotional argument is equally apl- applicable to his free will side. Equally applicable. I could flip this around, make a couple tweaks, like I just did with the hell example, and say that, you know, God is doing things, knowing the results. He knows this, knows that. Ultimately, nothing is up to you, even if, you know, I've, I've shown this in other episodes. I could make these same emotional arguments. And, and, and this is the point, is they're not arguments at all. They're just trying to get you to not even consider the other position. This is why I hate emotional arguments so much. I try to think of things logically, right? I want 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I want to know why 2 plus 2 equals 4. I don't want people to just tell me. I want to understand it. That is a summation of the way I try to understand theology and my worldview and the Bible and logic. So when people come along with emotional argumentation and they convince people that two plus two equals four is not even worth looking into, right? Um, it's just, it's so absurd that that you shouldn't even check it out, right? He's not making any Argument against Calvinism, he's literally just saying Calvinism's terrible, right? Let's just summarize this Calvinism's terrible. You shouldn't even look into it. I know he might not mean that. That might not be his intention. He's a nice guy. I've got nothing against Layton particularly. I'm attacking his views and the way he is presenting his views against Calvinism. But notice this, guys. This is what emotional argumentation does. Emotional argumentation basically says at the end of the day, This view is terrible. Don't bother looking into it. It just can't, he said earlier, it just can't possibly be right. So don't bother looking right. And my, 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 my angle is that I know if people do look into it and study the arguments and study the issues, I'm not going to sit here and lie and pretend that people are going to like the answers that they find, but they're going to know that they're true. They're going to be convinced of their logical validity and truth. When you use the Bible and logic, You might not like it all, right? You might emotionally erupt against it, but it's going to convince you that it's true. And when you take these emotional arguments and convince people that they shouldn't even be bothering to look into it, right, then I take serious issue with that. And that's why I'm taking the time to go through this. This might seem pointless to you, but guys, I hate emotional argumentation, right? And I know Layton is not explicitly saying, and I'm not accusing him of explicitly saying, I want to be clear here. Well, you just shouldn't even look into Calvinism. I'm not accusing him of saying that. I'm just saying this is the effect on that emotional argumentation can have, on, can have on the minds of people, right? He just said, well, you just need to state Calvinism as it is and people will see how just flat out wrong it is, right? But I'm going through and showing how most of this is actually just emotional. I'm not going to use the word twisting. It's not really twisting. It's just, it's, it's it's using words and phrases to paint things in negative lights. And And again, the ultimate goal here is Calvinism's terrible. Don't bother looking into it Right, but at the end of the day I've shown so far at least that these emotional arguments are Equally applicable to any Christian view any Christian view
1: Or to make himself All the more glorious appearing to everyone L- listen what appears to be most glorious to you. I mean be honest what, What's what's more? What's 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 more praiseworthy? What's more glorious and
0: now he's gonna appeal to you right again emotion What seems right to you what? What makes
1: you happy a God who has to step on most of his creation to make himself look better?
0: And I've shown that that's not what's going on
1: or a God who lays down his life for all of his creation
0: and both sides have that
1: once again In order to provide them a means by which they may be reconciled and have relationship with him Which 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 one's more glorious just be objective more glorious. Okay, so
0: you admit that God laid down his life to glorify himself So you just contradicted everything he said your whole point was, well, God's doing everything for his glory, but look over here, he selflessly laid down his life, so my view is better. But but you're now you're saying that which is more glorious, which has got, you know, God laying down his life glorifies himself. You're admitting God is doing that. It's a selfless act in time, but he's ultimately doing it for his own glory. So you're not realizing the contradiction that you've tied, you know, the knot that you've tied yourself in. And I'm just trying to point it out to people right? Calvinists are not abandoning the selfless act of God. We have it in our view, right? It's just the outplay of the ultimate purpose of God, which is a self-glorification. And for you to sit here and ask, is it glorious for God to do that? Well, what do you mean glorious, right?
1: Are you admitting God did it for his glory? just just back away from the calvinism arminianism debate long enough to just to be objective enough to say which really is more praiseworthy and boastworthy which one do you want to go tell your kids about right now
0: yeah and if you were to back away from the debate you would realize that both sides have god glorifying himself in the selfless loving act of dying for sinners right both those things are true both sides have that so you're just you know this is why when you break the emotional arguments down they they're absurd
1: you want to sit down with little billy little six-year-old billy and say you know what let me explain god to you god is a god who created most of humanity for the praise of his glorious wrath in judgment over them and wants to display his wrath over step- by stepping on them and
0: no, by punishing sin and evil right i think little timmy would be pretty happy about uh when he looks out into the world and sees all the terrible things happening that god's going to punish those people right god's going to execute justice eventually I think that little Timmy would be pretty happy about that. But see, when you word it as God stepping on people. Um,
1: <laughs> Damning them to eternal hell for reasons that are completely beyond their control. Completely
0: beyond their control. Right? No. The only level of control we have is in creation. As I already said, it's a level of control God's determined that we have. Even your side, even the free will side, is stuck with God creating people he knows will end up in hell. And their, creat- their creation, their own existence, is not under their control. It's beyond their, their control. So how, how does your side not have the same problem? I mean, you're sitting here, you're going to appeal to little Timmy, right? Oh, God's, God is creating people destined for hell, and there's nothing they can do about it. And little Timmy looks back at you and says, but don't you believe that God knows the future? Well, yes, little Timmy, God knows the future. So God created people he knew would end up in hell, right? Right, Daddy? Yes, little Timmy, God created people he knew would end up in hell. So what's the difference, is what little Timmy would ask.
1: And that's what he wants to do. Or do you want to go to little Billy and you want to say, Jesus absolutely loves his creation. And he created us for his, his own glory that we may...
0: Whoa, that sounds pretty selfish. God created us for his own glory? I thought it was all about me.
1: Relate to him, that we may have relationship with him, that we may be reconciled with him, that we may grow to know him and to love him, and that he desires... Oh, so
0: you mean that we can actually benefit... And be we can be privileged and benefit in time from the glorification of God. We can benefit from that. We can enjoy that. You see how
1: it can be both for all man. The chief end of all man, even on the Calvinistic confet, uh, catechisms, what is the chief end of man? To love God and glorify Him forever. And so, little Billy,
0: yeah, to love God, glorify and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man in that context. If you look at the, the shorter catechism, the very next question says, "What rule has God given us that we might enjoy Him?" It's talking about the revealed commands of God. Again, another topic.
1: You know, the reason I want to teach you that catechism, that I want you to understand that the chief end of man is to love him and glorify him forever is because that's the chief end of every man, not just a select few.
0: That's what God commands of every man as the context of that question. Uh, makes clear and the verses that are cited by that
1: question make clear every one of them because god wants every man woman boy and girl to know him to love him and to relate to him which one of those views is more glorious and which one is one you want to tell others about which one are you ashamed of and you have to decorate with all kinds of political speech and pious words to make it sound good enough for the six-year-old to to get it and go yeah okay i can understand
0: good enough for the six-year-old i'm not basing my theology on appealing to six-year-olds right i just I've said already in previous episodes. I tell it like it is if people don't like it That's a battle they need to have with themselves. Okay, it's not my responsibility To take my worldview and make it appeal to six-year-olds
1: Which one really does highlight the love the goodness and the glory and the character of our God as revealed through Jesus Christ Which one really? Let's just be objective about it.
0: Let's just be objective about it by appealing to children Let's be objective by not telling it like it is whether or not we like it let's be objective by making sure we like all of our worldview so that little timmy will like it too i could go on forever on this guys i just wanted to show the power of emotional argumentation and how it's not that hard to just calm down right right take the emotion out and just think through what's being said and you'll see that there's there's nothing to most of it right so let's break away from the emotional stuff get back to the primary topic I'm going to play a couple more little clips here to, to, to really solidify the the uh, r- the clarification that has gone on with Leighton and, and show why he, he, he uh, he's going to end up boiling this down to a question that cannot be answered. It's actually a question that, that can't be answered. And so listen to this very carefully.
1: And so my question is, what revealed reason is given in Scripture for why God chose James White instead of Bill Reprobate?
0: Okay, so if you notice something this whole time, What has been absent? The phrase in scripture. He's just asking, where is it revealed? Where is it revealed? Where is it revealed? And I'm sure, right, we were supposed to just know that he meant in scripture, right? So I can't point to the lives of individuals like James White and Bill Reprobate. I can't point to their lives and go look at all the reasons, right? Look at all the things God did with them in different ways, right? No, 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 that's not good enough. I want to know where the Bible says, this is why James White and not Bill. Right? Listen to that again.
1: And so my question is, what revealed reason is given in Scripture for why God chose James White instead of Bill Reprobate? There is no revealed reason, which is exactly what the meme says in the very beginning.
0: It's not exactly what the meme says in the very beginning. Okay? And there's a difference between no revealed reason and no revealed reason in Scripture. There is a difference. Okay? It is revealed in the lives of the people. It's in your face. It's plain for everybody to see. Right? And I'm not saying we can always make sense out of it, but we can see the reasons that are there. So again, you're asking a question that can't be answered. You've gone from the general idea of, well, God just saves people for no reason. And then when people said, oh, he saves them for his glory. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's not what I meant. I meant why Bob and not Bill. And then when we said, well, you can look at the lives of Bob and Bill to see why Bob and not Bill. Oh, no, 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 no. That's still not good enough, right? I want to know why, why Bob and not Bill. I want to know the reasons shown in Scripture. But again, their names aren't mentioned in Scripture. Scripture once again, and actually the scripture in the, in terms of biblical people does give names and does give purposes in the lives of people. Um, but let's just get back to the point here of, of, you know, Bob and Bill, their names aren't there, right? So we use the general statements of scripture to understand the existences of Bob and Bill and the outplay of their lives in light of those things. So when, when the Bible says that God works all things after his purposes and the counsel of his will, right? When it makes general statements, Uh, We can look into creation at the all things that God is working and understand that there are purposes in that. I'm not saying we can always know those purposes, but I think it's pretty safe to say that a lot of us, especially when we look back at our own lives, we reflect and we see, ah, in fact, God did have purposes in all those things, right? Now, Leighton is setting up here an unanswerable question, and he's basically refusing to accept the only answers that can be given, and that is you look at the things in time. You look at Bob and Bill in time to answer the question, of what is, why Bob and not Bill, right? And so you just have to ask, you know, this idea of, I don't know what you're expecting. Are you expecting, you know, a daily report sent down out of heaven from God? Like, okay, March 20th, 2021. This, 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 and this happened, and here's all the reasons I had in that. And if God doesn't do that, then what? What's your point? He doesn't have purposes in those things? I don't know, I really don't understand your point. If God does not reveal to us in Scripture why he saves these people and not those people, then what's your point? Again, there's no argument here. Uh, So what? God does reveal to us in time why he saves certain people and not other people. You look at the lives of the people, right? So uh, once again, I'm sort of beating this over and over, but he's reduced this down. He's had to clarify, 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 and then he's ended at a question that cannot be answered, right? And you know with all that being said just listen one last time to the absurdity of what he's asking
1: And so my question is what revealed reason is given in Scripture for why God chose James white instead of bill reprobate?
0: Okay If you're going to deny and not accept the ultimate answer to that which is the glorification of God in their salvation if that's not good enough for you You want specifics the Bible is not going to give the specifics because the Bible doesn't mention James white and Bob bill reprobate You gotta look at their lives
1: Okay individuals are mysteriously selected by God for reasons that are not revealed to us. We don't know why he chose one and not another.
0: See, and now it's back to not revealed to us. Which do you mean? Do you mean not revealed in scripture or not revealed, period? If you're just saying not revealed to us, you just look at at the people. You're going to seriously sit there and say, when you look at James White or Charles Spurgeon or even yourself and all the things you've done, that the reasons God had in saving you were not revealed to us. Are you kidding me? They're 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 very revealed. They're very revealed. And so again, you're just you're wrong. You're shown to be wrong, and it's not good enough. You have to ask, well, where in Scripture it doesn't say you're not mentioned in Scripture. James White's not mentioned in Scripture. Charles Spurgeon's not mentioned in Scripture. You, I'm not. Nobody else is. So we go by the generalities of Scripture, and if you want specifics, you got to look at the specifics of the individuals. But now I actually want to get to the primary point of this episode and I'll try to try to do this as as clearly as I can and that is to talk about unconditional election and and properly explaining it. Okay? So after everything I've said about the meme and Layton's over-clarification, simplification and how he's just at the end of the day there's no answer that's going to make him happy, even though I think that there are answers. Back this all up to what starts this whole pro, this whole drama in the first place. And that is that when election, unconditional election from the Calvinistic viewpoint is not properly understood and explained, I am going to go so far as to say that I can, I can completely understand the problems that the non-Calvinists have with it and, and the problems they see in their mind. Cause it's a little, uh, it's a little confusing when you, when you, when you don't properly explain it. So, and, and why is that? Well, a lot of people understand election wrongly as god looking down on a pool of people so he looked down on a pool of people and now he's choosing one not choosing another choosing one not choosing another and so when we ask at the end of the day why did god choose those and not the others right for us to sit there and say well he didn't choose those and not the others the reason wasn't found in the people it was found in himself well that looks a little confusing right and we're all going to sit here and chant oh but that's what the bible says is what the bible says we just need to accept it that can all be true but. Again, guys, let's be fair and try to understand what the the, the problem the other side has with this. So to demonstrate this problem, let's just imagine, for example, here. That you come up to me and you have a plate full of gummy bears and you tell me to choose which ones I want. Right. Gummy bears. So I pick one and I pick another and I pick another and I pick another. And after a while, let's say I pick 25 percent of them and I say, okay, sounds good. And you look at me and you say, okay, well, why did you choose those and not these? right? And if I were to say to you, well, I have my reasons for doing it, but it wasn't anything to do with the gummy bears. That's going to seem a little weird to you, right? Let's just be fair. Let's be honest. Let's, let's see this from the other side's viewpoint, right? So you're going to say, well, wait a minute. So you didn't choose those because they tasted better. Nope. It had nothing to do with taste. So you didn't choose those because they were more colorful. Nope. It had nothing to do with color. You didn't choose those gummy bears because they were bigger. Nope. Had nothing to do. You didn't leave those gummy bears over there because they were stale, and those ones that you chose were fresh. No, nope, it, it had nothing to do with the gummy bears. So how is that not random then? Is what the other side is asking. How can you say that you have purposes, but you're choosing from a pool of things that have different characteristics, different properties, and it's presented to you. And yet your reasons for choosing are not found in the, in the things. And this goes to demonstrate the problem that most people have with unconditional election. Okay. This problem is brought about when Calvinists do not properly explain what unconditional election is. the the, the entire error that occurs here is based on under, that is based on the understanding that God is presented with a pool of people. Just as I just as you presented me with a, a plate of gummy bears. Notice something those gummy bears ca- are, are existing in the ways that they exist not because of anything I did. Right? I'm not responsible for the gummy bears being the way that they are, being the colors that they are, how stale or fresh they are, how big they are, what they taste like. I'm choosing from things I have nothing to do with, and therefore for me to say that my reasons for choosing them are not found in them is, I'll admit, a little weird and makes it seem random. right? So this is why a better representation of what is actually going on is to understand that I'm not looking down. I would, you know, God. Let's go back to God here. God is not looking down on a pool of people that He has nothing to do with. God is the creator of those people, right? This is always skipped over. Everybody jumps to the point where God's choosing people, forgetting about how the people came to be there in the first place. And again, we're not talking about time. We're talking about the logical order in the mind of God. Before God can be choosing in His mind who He's going to save and not save, logically, He has to already have logically determined that those people would exist and exist the way that they exist. Okay? And this gets into, I will cover in future episodes, infralapsarianism, superlapsarianism. People think those aren't important. They are extremely important for this specific reason. And I'm going to do my best to explain this without having to go down those roads. It's going to be it's going to be a little hard. But I want people to notice something. I'm just going to come out and say what I'm getting at. And then I'm going to give an example to demonstrate what I'm getting at. Calvinism, the position of Calvinism is not saying that God is choosing reactively from amongst a pool of people. Okay. If that were the case, then I completely understand why the other side would say, well, that just seems random, right? He's not choosing them because of properties or or things found in the people. That just seems random, but this is not what Calvinism is teaching. Calvinism is teaching that the only reason the people in the pool exist in the first place and exist in the ways they exist in the first place is because God has already logically determined the existence of those people and every detail of their existence. So God is not choosing people for salvation reactively. He's choosing people for salvation actively. He is creating people for the purpose of salvation, right? And there's all the difference in the world, right? God is custom tailoring the existence of each and every single individual so that everything about that individual, right? Now when you reach that point where you have a pool of people and you're looking down at all these people, The reason they're different is not because of the people in the first place. The ultimate reason those people are different is because of God. So now, when we can look at God choosing people and not choosing people, he's doing it in an active sense, so that everything about the people is what he planned and determined it would be, rather than the free will view, which is, A conditional election view, which is God looking down on a pool of people who are all different because of the ways that the people determined with their free will to be different. And so God is choosing people because of certain qualities, or in the case of salvation, who would or would not believe. So God is custom tailoring the existence of each and every single individual person. Okay. And that's why, once again, remember election is not just that people are saved, it's not just that. Election is the eternal plan of purpose of God, which includes not just that they're saved someday But it includes the entire life before and after they're being saved so that every single step along the way every single Thing that the person does every every attribute that the person has every purpose that they serve on in their existence is custom-tailored by God Okay, and so now you can see the picture painted in a completely different light now, it's not that you are approaching me With a plate of gummy bears you are not presenting something to me that was outside of my control I am the one who is responsible for making the gummy bears in the first place The pile of gummy bears is the way that it is because I have made each gummy bear specifically the way that I wanted it to be Right, and so then when the Bible starts talking about God choosing people for salvation That's just one aspect of what God has planned just one aspect but the point here is that you've got an active choice of God, an active determination of God to create people in specific ways. So that now, if I were to not reactively choose amongst gummy bears, but to present gummy bears as having been their creator in the first place, I can say that all the purposes and reasons for the gummy bears being that the way that they are is in me. And it makes much more sense. Right? You might not like it. But it makes much more logical sense. It's no longer random, right? And it's no longer, especially in the light of what we've been talking about, not revealed. It's revealed in the lives of the people because God has custom tailored the existence from start to finish of each and every single individual person. So I want to try to conclude um, and really drive home this idea of election seen in both lights, reactively and actively conditional and unconditional. I want to try to use an example that I've used over the years to drive the point home and get you to see the difference between the two. The difference between the two camps, the difference in, w- in the ways in which God is choosing. In the free will side, God is reactively choosing. He's choosing people who meet certain conditions, okay? He's choosing people because of something found in the people, right? This is what Leighton Flowers and, and all free will proponents are going to stress. The reason for God choosing one and not another is found in the person. The Calvinist side says the reason for God choosing one and not another is found in God. And the ways that he has made those people. So let's let's give one last example to demonstrate what's what's being said here. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give an example where let's say I want to build a house, and I plan the house out every step along the way. And let's consider this first in the reactive light, right? If and this is something we can relate to, right? Because we're not God, we are popping along through existence and in a very reactive way. Okay, I plan my house and i'm going to start looking at different kinds of wood right and i'm going to go down to the wood yard and there's going to be a thousand different kinds of wood and i'm going to choose which wood best suits my needs but notice something that's reactive i'm choosing the wood because of different quali- i'm choosing the wood because of specific qualities and differentiations in the wood itself right so my choice is reactive same thing with the glass i need windows i need showers i need mirrors i need maybe cups to drink out of Uh, I go down to the glass and there's a thousand different kinds of glass, different colors, different textures, and I choose the glass which best suits my needs. So my planning of the house, it's reactive in the sense of I can only make the house that I'm basically allowed to make. I can only make a house out of the materials that are provided to me. And this is the important point is that is a reactive way. This is what the free will side is stuck with. The free will side is stuck with God making the best out of his creation. If God could have had it his way, things would be different. Things would be quote unquote better. He has ultimate purposes in mind. Just like I could have ultimate purposes and ways I want my house to be. But if that kind of wood doesn't exist, then I have to deal with what exists. If that kind of glass doesn't exist, I need to deal with what exists. And I'm choosing reactively and making the best out of what I have available to me. This is the free will view. This is the conditional election view. This is the view where God is making the best out of what is, what is available to him. Because if free will is true, this must be the case, right? But let's take this example and flip it over to the active sense. The, 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 the sense which I believe more truly rep, you know, represents God, right? God has the ability to create things exactly the way he wants them to be. So if I had the power to do that, let's go back to the home building example. I would plan a house not around the constraints of what is available to me, but I would be able to plan my house as freely as I could possibly plan it because I could make the wood. I would have the power to create the wood exactly like I wanted it to be for the structure, for the tables, for the chairs, color, texture, strength. I could create each and every single piece of wood exactly how i wanted it to be i would not be constrained by things that are presented to me by outside sources i would not have to be quote unquote choosing reactively from a thousand different piles of wood i would make each and every wood each and every piece of wood exactly the way i wanted it to be which demonstrates a very important point here i just paused for a moment in the first example you've got a thousand different piles of wood you're going to choose what wood suits you best but there's a lot of wasted material there isn't there there's a lot of wasted things And I very strongly believe that the free will view is stuck with God having lots of wasted things. Wasted, uh, you know, if he could have had it his way, it would have been this way. But there's so many wasted, purposeless things, especially when we start talking about evil. God didn't, in the free will view, God didn't make it that way. God didn't determine that that would come to pass. So it's just out there, right? The evil exists, and God's doing the best he can with it. But there's got to be, there's going to be a lot of wasted material but see, if I have the power to create things exactly the way I want them to be, and as Calvinists say, God creates all things exactly the way He wants them to be, there is no wasted material. The only material that exists is exactly the way I the amount that I need, the amount of wood I need, the amount of glass I need, the amount of anything I need, and it all exists in the exact way that I want it to exist. So that everything suits my purposes. Okay? So this is a good way to understand the difference between conditional election and unconditional election. Conditional election is, here's a pool of people, the size of which was not determined by God, right? The differences amongst the people was not determined by God. God is always reacting to what man gives him with his free will. So he's just constantly making the best out of, that he can in creation. He's constantly ad- adjusting, adapting, reacting, and doing the best he can. Whereas in the Calvinistic view, God is creating all things exactly the way he wants them to be, from start to finish, so that there is no waste of material, and, and this, this, this example, I believe, should help you understand the important difference between um, conditional election and unconditional election. And when you properly explain unconditional election, not that God is reactively choosing amongst people, and so therefore, since it's not found in them, it seems random, but God is actively choosing. Uh, to create people the way he creates them. And notice, it's still a choice on God's part, right? If I'm going to create all my wood out of, out of nothing, let's say, I'm, gonna, I'm still choosing that the wood will exist. I'm still choosing how the wood will exist, right? I'm not choosing how much wood wood will exist. I'm making a lot of choices there. It's just that they're active choices. So it's still election. It's still choice. But on God's part, the point is that it's active. It's not reactive, all right, so hopefully that has helped you to under, better understand the contrast between a conditional election reactive view of God and a unconditional election active view of God, where God is doing all things, planning all things, including the existence of every single individual person for a purpose. Now that I've laid that out, I'm going to get back into, hopefully very quickly here, wrap this up, but I'm going to get back into a couple of the things that Leighton said, and I want you to notice, he finally gets into, There's a, there's obviously a Calvinist in the chat while he's doing this stream, who says, hey, wait a minute. He points out exactly what I've said, that it is revealed in the life of the person. And as you're going to see, that's still not good enough for Leighton. Still not good enough. So listen to this.
1: All right. Um, there's Brenton again. Okay, they they are revealed as you fulfill the purpose God gave you throughout your life. We discovered, listen, you're, again.
0: See, so they're revealed. They are revealed to us. As, as time unfolds, as you view the life of a particular person, <laughs>
1: Love you, brother. Think, 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 think with me. Think with me, brother. Think with me. We're not talking about the purposes that you will fulfill in your life as a Christian. It's not what I'm talking about.
0: So you're not talking about the purposes God has in the existence of a person and why they why He chose to save them. I, that's the answer, and it's still not good enough.
1: Okay, I'm not saying that He He doesn't have reasons for Christians living the Christian life in the Calvinistic worldview. It's not what I'm saying.
0: Really. So when you ask why God is saving a person, and we point to their Christian Salvation life that's not good enough.
1: He could choose James White and he's chosen James White for the purpose of being an apologist that fights the King James Version controversy and fights the Islamic world and fights against the Jehovah's Witnesses and fights those you know horrible bad provisionists over there, okay He cr- and they're all revealed to you. You're, you're admitting that right now.: created God and, and I mean he created James White and, and created him for those purposes, okay? OK Okay. great, fine, that's fine. That's not the point of contention. That's not what we're talking about. That's precisely what we're talking about. I'm talking about why did he choose James White and not Bill Reprobate? Okay. And after
0: I have laid out what I've laid out, then you should understand by now that it is not James White or Bill. It's both. And this brings me to a very another very, very important point. Is that election, right, is there's two sides to the election coin, right? And this is where it gets into not fun to talk about, but we're facing reality, right? Calvinists man up and address the reality that all Christians are faced with. People go to heaven, people go to hell. God knew it all beforehand. The question is, did he have purposes in it, right? So election and reprobation are two sides of the election coin, so to speak, right? God is not only choosing who will be saved. He is also choosing who will be damned, right? We could get into Romans 9... for. And and all these things, but I'm trying to stick mainly to the the logical points of the issue here, and that is that it's not James White or Bill, it's actually both. God creates both James White and Bill for specific purposes and reasons, right? And so again, it's not God looking down on a pool and going, "You and not you." He created the pool, he custom tailored the pool. Each and every single individual person who exists in the pool of human- humanity has been formed, as Roman 9 says, as a vessel of wrath or a vessel of mercy. Okay? So it's not, God was not choosing James White over against Bill. God was choosing both of them for separate, different purposes, for their each and own individual purposes. This is absolutely critical. And this demonstrates why, Leighton, it's, it's not that these aren't good enough answers for Leighton because he's just stubbornly refusing to accept them. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because what's going on is he his false assumption is he is taking the way he views God's election, that it's reactive and it's James White over against Bill and trying to apply that to the way Calvinists understand election, or at least should, and my whole point here is a lot of Calvinists, I'm sorry guys, you don't properly explain these things, so you're, you are also viewing God as being... James White over against Bill, and you get tied in all sorts of knots by people like Leighton Flowers. But if Leighton ever hears this, right, this clarification, the point is not that it's James White or Bill. The point is it's both. It's James White for salvation and Bill for damnation. Not fun to talk about, but it is what I believe to be the biblically consistent truth. Okay? God has purposes in everybody. He has created all things for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of evil. He has written in his book the, the days that were formed for all of us, when as yet there was none. He formed our days for us, even the people who end up hell. He formed their days for them, right? Uh, Romans 9, we could go down the list. I know Leighton thinks he has answers to all these quote-unquote passages and verses, and we'll handle those separately in due time. But the point here is, guys, you see, after everything I've laid out, what I want to get across is you see his, his assumption That his view of God picking James White over against Bill is being brought over into his understanding or his attempted understanding of the Calvinist view, which is not James White or Bill. It is James White and Bill just for separate, different purposes. God chooses for salvation and, logically speaking, he must also therefore be choosing for damnation. He is actively choosing both. He is actively creating people for both. Right. And for God, again, this idea of choice for God's part, I keep stressing throughout all these episodes that it is active and not reactive. Just, just ask yourself a question. When God created the world, he created, let's just keep it real simple. He created a bunch of different trees, right? A bunch of different trees. But was he, did he have like a database of trees in his mind that he had to choose from? Did he reactively choose to create this tree and not that tree? (laughs) Doesn't make any sense, right? He created each and every single type of tree exactly the way he wanted it to be. The only reason those types of trees exist is because he determined that they would exist because he created them, right? He was not, no matter what category of creation we're talking about, trees, animals, stars, planets, whatever, it was not like God went down to the universe hardware store and started choosing how he was going to decorate his universe reactively. No, he actively purposed and chose, there's still choice involved, chose that tree. He chose that that tree would be the way it would be. And he chose that that tree would be the way it would be. And he chose that that planet or star would be the way that it would be. He wasn't choosing over against others. He didn't walk over to the shelf, right, the the planetary shelf, and hold up planet Earth and planet Mars and say, ah, planet Earth looks a lot better, so we'll go with that. No, he created each and every single specific planet exactly the way he wanted it to be. Okay, so over and over and over again with different analogies, some of which are laughable, I understand, but I'm trying to get across to you guys that God is active in his, cho- in his choice. And the same thing goes for election and reprobation, right? That is what I'm trying to get across, right? And so back to the pool of people in election, God did not hold up James White and Bill in one hand, in the other hand, and go, huh, there's, you know, I'll go with James White. I'll save him, but I won't save him. That's what you believe, right? Because you believe God held up James White and Bill and did a comparison right? You believe he compared them. And since James White met a particular condition in your conditional election system, God chose to save James White and not Bill, right? Because James White and Bill were presented to him by things beyond his control. But the point is, I'm saying from the Calvinistic standpoint, that God created James White for specific purposes, custom tailored, and he created Bill for specific purposes, custom tailored as well. The whole reason James White and Bill exist, the ways that they exist, is because God determined that it would be that way. Because he's in control of all things. So this, once again, when you stop trying to take the conditional election paradigm, the, the, the foundational assumption that God is reactively choosing, and trying to apply that to the Calvinistic view, of course the Calvinistic view would seem absurd if you assume that. But if you don't assume that, if you allow us to, to define what we're saying, that God is actively choosing, actively creating, actively planning and purposing, then it makes perfect logical sense. You might not like it, right? I don't expect you to accept it. Don't expect you to believe it. You might not like it. You might think it's terrible and stupid and ridiculous, but there is nothing illogical about it. And you're forced to admit, I'm sorry, you're forced to admit that your question that started all this drama is answered, right? Your question is answered. Unconditional election should be very clear now. Anyway, so so that's, that's the end of what I wanted to cover in this episode. Um, extremely, extremely important point. My attempt here is not to, you know, bash on Leighton. My attempt is to show that a lot of the controversy over this particular topic is from a misunderstanding of the Calvinist position to begin with. And that is mostly due to the Calvinists failing to properly explain what election is, right? and i hope that this really helps you guys understand the contrast between a man-centered free will view where god is constantly reacting to a a god-centered view which has god as the active creator of all things the creator the author the planner the purposer the determiner right and in, in a free will view god is reacting to what man does he is building the best house he can out of the materials provided to him but so many of the materials uh, might not fit his purposes and therefore They are a waste and at the end of the day they're just going to be thrown into a pile and burned for no reason But in the Calvinist view where God is actively planning and purposing all things. He builds the exact house that he wants We we have God being completely free Free to build the exact house that he wants with the exact amount of material and the material in exactly the way It needs to be so at the end of the day There is no wasted material, right? So I hope that this, uh, this episode has been helpful to you guys, understanding the difference between a reactive view of God, a conditional election, reactive view of God and an unconditional election, active view of God, where God is the creator. He's the author. He's the planner. He's the purposer, he's the determiner. Um, this, this was a, this, this episode should only be about an hour long. That should be very, a, a very refreshing change of pace for a lot of you guys. I know I've been very long winded in the past few episodes, but I'm going to try to, uh, put out a few quick more episodes like this in the near future um, as spare time permits once again just been very busy lately um, I'm not quite sure which is more impressive me doing an hour-long episode or me not mentioning Hebrews 1 in this episode I'm not sure which is more impressive I'll leave that for you guys to decide